0: Welcome to the podcast of Grandview Baptist Church in Anchorage, Alaska. This episode contains a sermon from August 29th by Pastor Andy, titled, Seven Churches of Revelation, The Church at Smyrna. Anyway, what we have been, we've been started last week looking at the letters that Jesus writes to the churches in Revelation. And what Jesus does, he tells us what he expects he tells us what he wants us to give our hearts to. He tells us what he wants the church to hear, what, what, what he wants from us. And oftentimes, these churches have a lot of other good things going on, but Jesus says, hey, there's something very critical here. There's a fatal flaw that you need to address because it doesn't matter what else you're doing good if you don't have these certain characteristics Jesus will tell them, look, you're sort of useless to me. You're a faithless, unbelieving church because there are some things that are just critical that he expects from his church. And last week we saw in the letter to Ephesus where he expects his church to love him. And this week we're going to look to the church of Smyrna where he expects his church to endure suffering. So let me just give you a little bit of background on Smyrna. Smyrna was a city that was completely destroyed in 600 B.C., Then about 300 B.C., they came and started to rebuild the city. And about this time, Rome is coming to power. So for stability, they made an allegiance to Rome. And Smyrna became known as a city very loyal to Rome. In fact, at one point when, when Roman soldiers had lost a battle, which was rare, but occasionally they lost a the battle, when they did, they heard that the soldiers were, were, were cold and hungry, and the people in Smyrna stripped off their clothes and sent them to the soldiers. Smyrna was one of the first cities to have a temple dedicated to emperor worship or to the spirit of Rome. They had an amphitheater that seated over 20,000 people for the purpose of emperor worship. So being loyal to Rome and worshiping the emperor was something that they did with great pride and great enthusiasm. In fact, once a year, all the citizens of Smyrna would line up. They would come to an altar. They'd take a a pinch of incense and throw it on the altar. And they would would say, Caesar Curios" or Caesar is Lord. But Christians, they wouldn't associate anybody else with Lord. So they would take the pinch of incense, throw it on the altar, and say, Christos Curios" or Christ is Lord. This didn't go over too well in Smyrna. It was considered very anti-patriotic. And so as a result, Christians received uh, not only economic uh, persecution, but also physical persecution. They are even killed because of their stance. Now, as you might suspect, being killed for your faith is not exactly a catalyst to help start church growth. Can you imagine, you know, people showing up at the park when they know if you're going to show up at the park that there's something that Grandview is sponsoring, you could be killed for it. But this is what they faced. So let's look here at the scriptures. Revelation 2, beginning at verse 8. Write to the angel of the church in Smyrna. Thus says the first and last, the one who is dead and came to life. I know your affliction. Let's start right there. The affliction, that means you're under great pressure. It's the word that they would use of a wine press that would squeeze and squeeze and squeeze out every drop of juice in the grape. That they were under this type of affliction. Um, Before they baptized, there's a missionary agency in South Asia that they ask each candidate seven questions before they baptize them. Here's the questions that they ask them. Number one, are you willing to leave home and lose the blessing of your father? Are you willing to lose your job? Are you willing to forgive the ones who persecute you and share the love of Christ with them? Will you give an offering to the Lord? Are you willing to be beaten rather than deny your faith? Are you willing to go to prison? Are you willing to die for Jesus? And if they say yes to those seven questions, then they're asked to sign a paper saying that they willingly are Christ followers. And if they're caught with that signed paper, they could be three years in prison. If they're caught helping somebody else sign that paper, that's six years in prison. They didn't ask me that when I went to be baptized. Completely different atmosphere going on. So not only is the affliction, but it says, and your poverty. The, the word poverty there means not even have enough to take care of your basic needs. Or if we say in the South, you're not poor, you're poe. Big difference between those two things. Now, we'd like to say that we don't need things to be happy, but we secretly hope we don't really have to find out that's true or not. But he says, you're poverty, but you're rich. There's a guy, a financial analyst. This is back in uh, the early 90s. He bought a $4 painting at a flea market, took it home, a few days later, he's, he's looking at it and he peels the, the paperback off the back and there's a copy of the Constitution of the United States, or excuse me, Declaration of Independence. It was one of the first 500 copies printed in, not, in 1776, sold at auction at $2.4 million. So the same thing is, you know, it's something that looked worthless, but it's really very valuable. And that's what Jesus said to the church. You may look poor, but you're rich. You have great riches, and we'll talk about why in a minute. But see, they knew suffering and poverty. This is what makes this a a very difficult sermon to preach because we can't relate to that. We can relate to the church of Ephesus where it said that that they left their first love, but it's hard for us to relate to, to being under persecution, to suffering and poverty. You know, being out of your favorite blend of Starbucks doesn't constitute suffering. But but, but so they, they were going through it. Not only that, but what makes this difficult is because we live in a time where, where we think we shouldn't suffer. As Christians, we have this adversity to suffering. In fact, there's a prosperity gospel out there with people with, Big hair will tell you that if you have enough faith, you will have health and wealth. That's all you need. If you have faith, you'll have everything you need. You'll be healthy and you'll be wealthy. That wouldn't have gone over well in Smyrna. Uh, A pastor by the name of Fernando in Sri Lanka, he ministers to the poor and persecuted. He wrote a book called A Call to Joy and Pain. And in that book, he describes Western Christianity, Christianity in America. And here's what he says. He says that the church in each culture has its own special challenges, theological blind spots that hinder Christians from growing to full maturity in Christ. I think one of the most serious theological blind spots in the Western church is a defective understanding of suffering. There seems to be a lot of reflection on how to avoid suffering, on what to do when we hurt. And we have a lot of teachings about escape from suffering and therapy for suffering. But there is an adequate teaching about the theology of suffering. The good life, comfort, convenience, and a painless life have become necessities in America that people view as a basic right. If they do not have these things, they think something has gone wrong. God's not holding his end of the deal. One of the results of this attitude is severe restriction of spiritual growth, for God intends us to grow through trials. And this is one of the greatest dangers to our church today is that we think, oh, come follow Christ. Everything will work out. Everything will be okay. You just be a good little boy and girl as far as God is concerned and he'll take care of everything else. And then we want to say here, oh, life is so hard. Come on, really? None of you look like you're on the verge of starving to death. If you get sick, you don't have to walk 100 miles to a hospital. You can walk three blocks and be in part of some of the best medical care in the universe. And we don't have to worry about coming and meeting here and having soldiers break in and throw us in jail or kill us because we're meeting together as Christians. We have a difficult time relating to to suffering. So when I get to heaven, I'm going to meet some believers from Smyrna, And they're going to tell me how they had all their stuff confiscated on how some of them were even killed for their faith. And I'm going to go, you think that was tough? One Sunday morning, I had to shovel two feet of snow off my driveway before I can back my car out and go to church. It's not going to go over too well. Now, just because we're not experiencing suffering doesn't mean churches in other parts of the world are not. A Christian village in Syria gets completely destroyed by Syrian rebels. Right now, over 30,000 believers are in labor camps in North Korea where the life expectancy is about 10 years. The only reason they're there is because they refuse to reject Christ. Kazakhstan. A mother gets fined a month's salary because she gave a CD to a nine-year-old boy to give to the teacher. It had a little note on it that says, Jesus loves you. She reported to the police. Vietnam, they, they break into a house church, confiscate all the Bibles. They tell the Christians there, you meet again, you're going to be thrown in prison, and this house is going to be destroyed. Sudan, Christians loaded up in the back of trucks, hauled out to the middle of the desert, let off with no supplies whatsoever, just to wander around for a couple of days and die. Now, listen, I'm grateful we don't experience suffering. But I wonder, you know, would that be of help to us? Because there's no hypocrites in a a persecuted church. They don't hang around to be persecuted. People are sincere. They they have a a, a real faith. There's no pretenders. So my point is this. We cannot relate to this church in Smyrna. Because there's no suffering and there's no deep poverty going on. But how how can we take note of what Jesus is saying? Although we can't relate to the suffering and the poverty, there's things that we can glean from this. There's some foundational things that we need to know, just what they need to know when they were going through suffering. So let's go back and look at this. First of all, he says, I know your affliction and poverty, but you're rich. I know the slander of those who say they are Jews and are not, but they are of the synagogue of Satan. And all through these letters, we see references to Satan. The first thing that's gonna help us be able to relate to this church or have the same foundation that this church, Jesus wanted this church to have that we need to have, is that we have a spiritual enemy. He's out to kill, steal, and destroy our lives. Any way he can. And what's the main way Satan chooses to do that? Is through relationships. Life's all about relationships. Relationships with God, relationships with others. And Satan seeks to destroy us through relationships. The second thing, verse 10, don't be afraid of what you're about to suffer. Look, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison to test you, and you will experience affliction for 10 days. Be faithful to the point of death, and I will give you the crown of life. Don't be afraid. Now, we can conquer our fear by having our circumstances changed. Another way we can conquer our fear is by changing our perspective. He says, don't be afraid. You're about to be thrown into prison. Why are they about to be thrown into prison? Before that, they're about to be thrown into prison to be tested. To be tested. But what's going to be tested is their faith. Do you really believe what you say you believe? Am I really the number one thing in your life? Do you really love me the way you say you love me? Do you really believe that that I am the, the risen son of God? Their faith is going to be tested. Here's what you need to understand. God will allow Satan to inflict suffering on us in order to test our faith. We see it with Joseph. We see it with Job. We see it with Jesus. We see it uh, Paul was a storm in the flesh. Exodus 16, and the Lord said to Moses, I am going to rain bread from heaven for you. The people are to go out each day and gather enough that, that day. This way I will test them to see whether or not they will follow my instructions. Deuteronomy, remember that the Lord your God led you on this entire journey, these 40 years in the wilderness. Why do they have this 40 years? So that he might humble you and test you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commands or not. Do you understand God is always testing our faith? Why do you have a test? To get to the truth of the matter. To find out what you know. Because we can say, you know, we, we know that material or whatever, but that's the reason you have a test in school, to find out what do you really know. God tests us. Why? To find out what's really in our hearts because we'll come here on Sunday and we'll talk about how much we love God, how much we are to forgive other people, how much we are to not gossip, how much we care more about Him than we do money and and, and people rather than do money. But then as soon as all those those tests become personal to us, most of that stuff just gets thrown out the window and we prove that we're just like everybody else on the street. That's why the test to get to the truth about what's in our hearts. Listen, you need to understand every day there's something going to come to you that's a test. For 40 years, he says, for 40 years I led them through. Why? To test them. Every day they got up together, that manna was a test. Every day you get up and you think, boy, look what I'm going to make money today and do today. And you think that you're doing it? It's a, it's a test. You're not passing. You don't realize how much you depend upon God every day. And so we're constantly going through these these, these times of uh, of testing. So, let's go back and and paint the, the, the big picture here. In Smyrna, they're suffering for their faith and they're in deep poverty because of it. They really need to hear a word from God. They need some comfort. They need some encouragement. And so their pastor comes up and says, here, let me give you a word from God this morning. And you know what he says? Basically, he says, hang in there. It's going to get worse. Not exactly what you wanted to hear. Let's go back to verse 10. Don't be afraid of what you're about to suffer. Look, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison to test you, and you will experience affliction for? All right. What's that mean? There's a limit to this. It means the person who thinks he's in charge, they're not in charge. Our Lord is in charge. He decides. He's in control. He knows what's going on. Oh, that we would realize that. That's what he wants the church to come to grips with. The Lord, he's in charge of all this. And then whenever this testing comes about, does Jesus say, oh, those poor pitiful people, it's so sorry that they have to go through this suffering and these trials. Is that what he says? And you will experience the things for 10 days. Be faithful to the point of death. And I will give you the crown of life. He says, "You are blessed. blessed are you for what's coming in your future. He doesn't say, oh, I feel so sorry for you that so you have to go through this. No, he says, you're blessed. 3 Ephesians chapter 1, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what is the wealth of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the mighty working of his strength. That we realize we're rich. We think we have suffering and poverty, but when you realize who God is, you're rich. See, our witness to the world is not that as Christians, we're just going to have great little easy lives. That everything's going to work out for us. That because we have God, we get in trouble, but God's going to smooth that out and, and make it great. That's not our witness to the world. Our witness to the world is whenever we go through trials, whenever we go through afflictions, whenever we go through difficulty, whenever we go through poverty, we're okay because we have God. We don't need anything else. He is enough for us. That's the verses we just read in Ephesians. That's what Paul's saying. I want you to see Jesus is enough. That we don't need anything else. When we don't always demand that God change our circumstances, but we realize in the midst of uh, of our circumstances that he is enough, then we get it. Then we get it. Now, John sends these letters from Jesus to these pastors. But one pastor John knows. See, when John was in Ephesians, he mentored a guy named Polycarp. Polycarp later on becomes a pastor in Smyrna. So Polycarp is now 86 years old. And on February 23rd, A.D. 155, he's called before the, the proconsul in Smyrna because he's a Christ follower. And he's told this, that he's told, deny Christ. And when they saw, when, when Polycarp was brought before the procancel, they saw this guy's 86 years old. They had no desire to... to, to torture or to kill an old man that didn't thrill them at all so they simply told him look just just curse god and leave you know we don't we don't want to cause you any suffering and pain just curse god and leave here's what polycarp said 86 years i served him he has done me no wrong how can i blaspheme the king who saved me Then they get a little bit, the proconsul gets a little bit taken back, and they go, hey, you don't do this, you're going to be burned alive. Polycarp says, you threaten me with fire that burns for an hour and is over, but judgment of the ungodly is forever. So he's not backing down any. As he was being burned at the stake, he could be heard praying over the flames. And his prayer wasn't for deliverance. His prayer wasn't that the wrath of God would, would fall upon those who were lighting the fire or the pro-cancel his prayer was this God thank you that you graciously thought me worthy of this day and of this hour that I may part the num- that I, that I may be a part of the number of martyrs to die for Christ that's somebody who saw things from a different perspective That's somebody who who knew that we have an enemy, who knew God is testing him, but who knew God was in control of it all. And who had riches greater than anything that you could find in this world. He had God. That was enough for him. More than enough for him. Now, if God will allow his church to go through suffering, what do you think is going to happen to those who Refuse to follow Christ. That's the last verse towards Smyrna. Let everyone who who has ears to hear listen to what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who conquers will never be harmed by the second death. See, the second death is coming. That's something to be afraid of. Here's what Jesus says about that. Don't fear those who kill the body but are unable to kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both the soul and the body in hell. That's the second death. That is something to be afraid of. That is something to fear. So a businessman was traveling cross country. This is pre-COVID. He's on a plane flight. Orders a salad. Starts to eat his salad. About the second, third bite through, he's Go through the piece of lettuce and there's a roach. He's totally, yeah, that's what he thought, totally disgusted. So when he lands, gets to his hotel room, he immediately fires off a letter to the president of the airlines. And he doesn't send an email, he sends it uh, written form, snail mail, because he doesn't want them to just press delete and it'd be gone. So a week later, he gets back to his house. And there's a return letter from the president of the airline. He opens it up. It says, "I'm so sorry for your experience." And then the diploma just just starts dripping from there. We're taking that airline off the flight line. It's is the the carpet's being ripped up. It's being upholstered. All these things are being done to this airplane. And I promise you that the flight attendant who served you the meal and the and the business that provided the meal, they're both they're. they're one of the business that their business is in jeopardy, the flight attendant, their job is in jeopardy uh, because of this. And I hope you'll fly our airline again. You know, he reads all that message and goes, oh, yes, you know, made a difference. I'm so glad. But then he noticed behind that letter, the, the secretary also included the letter that he had written to the president of the airlines. And there's his original letter. And at the bottom of his original letter is a note by the president that says, send him the standard Roach letter. Now, it's my hope that as we go through a church like this, you don't see it like just a standard Roach letter. Okay, I understand that, but what does it mean? How does that apply to my life? You know, it doesn't really make a difference that we just hear this and we listen to this about Smyrna, but it doesn't really mean anything to us at all. I know we're not experiencing suffering yet. It's coming very soon, but it's not here yet. And and I know we're not experiencing poverty, not the extreme poverty where we can't feed ourselves, where we can't provide our basic needs. I, I know there's nobody here in that category. But what we need to understand is, is that we can have that basic same characteristics that we're going to need to have. That's this, what Jesus expects of us. That we understand that we have an enemy. Do you get that? He's out to destroy you. And the main way he wants to destroy us is through relationships. Do you understand that every day God is testing you to find out what's in your heart? He will even allow suffering to come into your life to test you. And that's not just here. That's lots of places in Scripture besides the ones we read. Do you understand that he's sovereign? He's in control, that whatever comes through your life, the good and the bad, it comes from his hand, and he decides how long that's going to be, what it's going to be like, the of that, intensity of that. And do you understand that from Jesus' perspective, when you have him, you have it all? You're rich? Now, we have a persecuted church around the world. Very real, what they're going through, much like Smyrna. And so what I'd like to do as we move into the invitation time, I will ask you in a Second, to stand. But as we stand, I want us to stand together in solidarity with the persecuted church. Then I want us to read Scripture together. So let's stand in solidarity with the persecuted church around the world. And let's read this together. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. We are persecuted, but not abandoned. We are struck down, but not destroyed. All right. So it's my hope today that although we are not physically experiencing suffering and persecution and poverty, that we can still identify with the church that was. Because the foundation that God expected of them will be the same foundations that we have in our lives. I hope that's true of you. Thank you for tuning into the podcast of Grandview Baptist Church in Anchorage, Alaska. For more information, check out our website at gbcak.org.